Welcome to the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. Your one stop to learn about the technology that's powering the future of commerce. Here are your hosts, Dirk and Kelly. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Commerce Tomorrow. I'm here today with my co-host, Kelly Götsch, and today we actually have two special guests uh, from CMS Connected. Uh, I'm happy to welcome Laura Myers and Gabriella Pirioni. Hello. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello. It's, it's great to have you here, actually, uh, today in a different role. Uh, I know you're uh, both uh, uh, also uh, tech reporters and analysts and often do the interviews. Uh, today, we have you as guests. So for those who don't know you yet, uh, can you make a quick introduction about yourself? Um, I'll start. I'm, as you introduced me, I'm Laura Myers. So I am the marketing manager, media reporter of CMS Connected. So you're absolutely right. We're typically used to being on the other side of this where we interview many um, tech providers, customers, partners, and analysts in the content management, commerce, digital experience, basically the whole world of digital business is kind of where our content goes. Um, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gabriella Peroni. Yep. And I, yeah, of course, Gabriella Peroni. And I am the assistant for CMS Connected and a tech reporter as well. <laughs> so she's kind of like my right-hand right. girl. Yeah. Well. <laughs> She's responsible for all of our social media strategy and posts and uh, stuff like that. So welcome. Uh, this is Kelly. So I, I just maybe you could start by giving us a little background on CMS Connected. So it seems like uh, you guys are everywhere these days. And it seems like that was a pretty recent <laughs> development, maybe over the past year, year and a half, roughly. Um, wh where did you guys come from? <laughs> Um, I actually, Gabriella joined us about six, seven months ago. We had our amazing content writer and my other um, social media girl, Venus Tamturk, leave us for a position at a local university. So Gabriella came onto our team. Um, I've actually only been here for two years. And I, when CMS Connected started, it was about five years ago. And it started as like a news and commentary show. That, I mean, as we mentioned later, we're based um, near Vancouver, Canada, but the show is actually filmed and produced in Boston because that's very much a CMS hub. And so the show was based on speaking with different vendors and analysts in the industry, and they would talk about just the news and commentary and what's happening in the content management world. And then since then, as you guys well know, content management has kind of morphed into this whole digital experience realm. And so when I started, the show was still happening. And then shortly after I began, we kind of realized that there was this need for more daily content and short form video. So that's really where I kind of changed things where I was doing a lot more interviews, kind of like weekly or a few times a month with different people. So we kind of took the idea of the show and broke it out into more short form video and daily articles. And that's really helped us to just grow our content presence. And then the other thing is we started attending events. As and I think that's really helped with our brand presence as well and being kind of on the ground, having conversations with customer and analysts and partners at events and really getting the conversation that maybe every vendor doesn't know. So that's kind of how our evolution has happened. And it's a great story and, and big success so far. Um, and I have a couple of questions on that. But before I, I get to that, um, how does your typical day look like, um, both as a marketing manager, but also as a tech reporter? Is there a difference or is there a trade-off or you, can you combine both, both well together? 
Yes. So it's interesting because we're really a content marketing platform and like we in we share so much content, we share so much video content, written content. And so it's interesting for me in the marketing side of everything is I'm constantly reading about what everybody's doing with content marketing. And so that really helps us strategize well and learn really quickly. As I'll go into when we talk a little bit more about our background later, I don't have any background in marketing or content or anything. I'm really self-taught in all this stuff. So my desire to kind of soak up information and learn has really helped in both roles. So as a media reporter, I'm really working with people and kind of soaking up all the information on what's happening out there in content marketing. And then I'm able to kind of repurpose that in my role as a marketing manager and A lot of what we do is work with vendors on their advertising on our site and stuff like that so that I get to work with each one of them, understanding their content needs and helping them realize that through CMS Connected. So they kind of work really well together. Um, Gabby's days usually look a little bit different, Mm -hmm. so I'll let her talk about that. Um, So, yeah, as Laura mentioned, I mean, the industry just changes so much. And I feel like because I write content, I need to really be up to date on what's happening in order to write that content. So... I spend my day too as well, reading a lot. Yeah. Um, And then I also take care of all the new development for the site as well. So if there's a new feature that needs to be implemented for the site, then I work with the developers and the designers to get that all achieved and and handled and um, setting requirements and all that and making sure that the the development goes smoothly and that that's all done. So yeah, previously... We'll go back, we'll go into a little bit more of our background, but before Gabby joined us, she was actually our project manager with the um, implementation side of Yeah, of CMS Connected. Mm-hmm. So she knows our website inside and out. And so she really works well on if there's any new features or anything like that. So I work closely with our president in any new design features of this site and kind of like iteration and ideas and how it'll function. And then we go to Gabby and she works with the design and development teams to kind of make that happen. So. Yeah. We work really well like that together. Mm-hmm. No, it sounds great. One, one, one quick question on, on that. Um, you both mentioned that you, you read a lot to stay up to date. Um, yes. Any, any uh, sources you can share uh, w- with us and, and everybody that's listening in on uh, oh, what gosh. you all are reading and uh, where you're getting that from? Yeah, there's not really one site that we look at, but I do feel like LinkedIn is a really big source for yes. me anyway. I yeah. use LinkedIn a lot. But. I, throughout my day... I will always have LinkedIn and Twitter usually open and I'll be kind of scrolling and reading, you know, and, and over my time at CMS Connected, I've been able to develop a really amazing network of people on, I mean, that I've met in person and sort of digitally as well as LinkedIn. So I see a lot of the content I see is really relevant to what we're doing, but it's also really expansive. I'm also a big podcast listener, which isn't surprising. Um, And so there's a few that I really like that kind of give me a good scope on the business world from other areas. So there's one that I really like that focuses a lot on the digital growth of brands in the sports world. There's another one that talks about kind of not tongue in cheek, but a little bit more critically thinking about the tech space and the business climate right now. And that's um, called Pivot by Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. Mm-hmm. And then another one I really love is just the Wall Street Journal Tech News Briefing. It's a really short, like five, six minute thing. And it talks every morning about what the headlines are in the news that day to do with tech. So that also helps me kind of get an understanding of what's the breaking news and what people are talking about. And yeah, we just spend a lot of our day reading, mm-hmm. reading other content, reading 
from everybody. So we go on different websites, we go on vendor websites, we read um, other content sources, a lot of what's coming out in like papers and the tech part. Yeah. It really just comes from the computer. <laughs> we're not reading and we're writing. Yeah. <laughs> and then if we're not reading or writing, we're talking to people. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That also helps too. I've learned so much of my knowledge in this space has come from just talking to people yeah. and talking, you know, connecting with people at events and interviewing people. Everybody has something different to say. We can sometimes notice similarities in conversations, but then mm -hmm. there always is a bit of a different spin on it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, as a vendor, um, when we write content, a lot of it's to get the attention of reporters like yourselves. Um, what, uh, what feedback or what guidance would you give to uh, both SIs and ISVs on how to write content that better appeals to reporters out there? That's a great, that's a really great question. One of the things, and this is, kind of, this is kind of funny. I'm a very, I'm a very positive feedback person. And there was one vendor that they wrote a really great press release and I commended them on the press release. And I said, we read so many of these press releases and they always follow a very similar structure. kind of structure. But what I really like when I'm reading press releases or I'm reading case studies or I'm reading articles is when companies can kind of position the point of why they did something and what they're going to do with it. So this was particularly, this was an investment round. And they had said, you know, this is why, this is why we wanted it. This is what we're going to do with it. And this is how it's going to impact the industry. So as I mean, a lot of information is great information, but when somebody can really get down to the details mm -hmm. of something that's really, we can really grasp it and it really makes sense. I sometimes find um, in reading, and Gabby and I say this sometimes, where we'll read something and we feel like nothing was said. <laughs> I know this. Sense. I know the feeling. I, I read that stuff all the time. It drives me crazy. Yeah. And there are sometimes great little nuggets, but it's almost too, and I think about that a lot in my writing. I try not to be too, too high level. I try to actually, you know, I like the people. There was a really great... Um, I think it was a great TED talk. I can't remember who it was, but she said that she doesn't say anything unless it's something of value. And I think that that's mm -hmm. really what we look for. Saying something not, it doesn't always have to be different just because everybody sees things so differently. It's sometimes hard to be different, but just making what you say of value and tangible and we can really understand what you're getting at or the changes that you want to make, that kind of stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a personal pet peeve of mine is, you know, you, you read uh, 2000 words and at the end of it, you're like, well, what did I actually just read here? And, exactly. You know, it was just overwritten marketing, you yeah, know, like gibberish, basically. Or something like that as well. Yeah, I think that's another thing that I, you know, I mean, not we're going to go into pet peeves here, but I also think <laughs> that <laughs> I recently interviewed an analyst at, um, the Psychor Symposium, and he had, and I almost couldn't quite articulate it at the time, and I really tried to because I really valued that he took time to sit down with us and have this conversation, but he said really provocative things, really got you thinking about certain items, and he had a very unique perspective, but he brought it across in a very objective way. I sometimes think, and I sometimes brands lose me where they think they have to make a point by being negative or being mean mm -hmm. or saying something bad about another brand and that will really lose me. But if someone can say something and make a point, but very objectively, that's a really good way mm -hmm. 
And that's something that I really appreciate when I see. Yeah, I agree. Um, and one more um, somewhat related question. So CMS Connected, you started covering um, content first, right? I mean, it's, it's in the name of the publication, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've branched out a lot into the commerce space, right? And more generally experience. Um, did that come because of the DXPs and they started getting into commerce or why? And also, um, how does the content space just differ from the commerce space? What are some parallels or differences in the in the communities there? Um, to address the first question, we our content strategy is really similar, I'm sure, to what everybody else does. So it's really derived, you know, as a marketer, I'm much more data driven. So I'm looking at constantly looking at our analytics and how our audience is engaging with our content and looking at what what they prefer and what they don't. Um, two of our biggest ones is, of course, web content management and e-commerce. It's um, Venus Tamtrick wrote an amazing article a few years ago on some emer seven emerging technology trends in e-commerce, and it is still one of our most trafficked pieces. And she really comprehensively went over some of the, the trends. And as we write more and more about commerce, we see that interest. And also when, when our newsletter, we give, we give um, people that are signing up for a newsletter the chance to give us input on what kind of content they want to see. And a lot of it is asking for commerce. So I think it's been a blend of a lot of the WCM platforms that we previously worked with have a really big push into commerce. So that has really helped us enter the space. And then kind of discovering more companies like Commerce Tools that's really, really in the commerce space and all the great conversations there. So it's kind of happened as a byproduct of what's happening in the market, but also it's just been where more of the conversations have gone when we're talking to everybody that's related to commerce. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely makes sense. And well, at the end, everybody is selling something, right? Um, no matter um, exactly. if it's exactly. a I think media company or fashion brand. Yeah. yeah, I think it was funny when I was looking at... Um, the items that we were going to cover before, I kind of laugh because I'd, I feel that because of my background, I started kind of in retail. Commerce is also such, it's such an area of interest for me and how understanding the retail relationship and that personal relationship with customers is transformed into digital. So I think that that's also had a lot to do with it as well. Um, your second question, how does content differ from commerce? One of the interesting things, sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot and Gabby's it's okay. <laughs> not really getting in here. I was kind of joking about this earlier because I feel like we share a lot of the same thoughts on much, many things. Um, one of the biggest changes I've seen recently is people are almost not focusing enough on content. I sometimes feel that there's such an excitement and investment in the commerce space, but content just feels like a means to an end. And I think that this year, I've been having a few conversations with people where they're kind of bringing the focus back to content. I was interviewing um, Ian Truscott from Sendshare earlier this year, and he made such a great point that he sees content as an organization's second business, but they should optimize it like the first, which is a really, really impactful point. So I think mm -hmm. probably the big difference is content is just content, but commerce is such an exciting opportunity for connecting and experience. And I think that they should both be viewed that way. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, at the end, it's all about shopping experiences. And if you want to <laughs> differentiate yourself from others, um, it can't just happen only through the product catalog and the technology around. 
Exactly. And I view content as everything. So, I mean, crafting great content is in having impactful product, right? Like product descriptions and stuff. So I think every, you know, every group of words in any type of digital strategy, to me, that's content that can be optimized. Yeah. Talking about experiences, but before we move on with the online world, um, let's um, shortly talk about offline. Um, there is uh, definitely a challenge going on in uh, brick and mortar retail. Um, are there any great or cool innovations, experiences that you are currently seeing in the, the offline world? Yeah, so... I would say for myself, I know I probably talk about this company a lot, but I, I just love Starbucks so much and what they're doing um, for the customer experience and customer journey. Um, just like with their mobile, like online ordering and all that as well. The, I actually have a great example. I, I went to one of their brick and mortar stores and I couldn't uh, upload any more, um, just more money to my app. And so they actually ended up giving me a free drink and then they actually ended up um, loading it through their POS system for me, which I think is just such a great customer experience, which I really appreciate. And, you know, when they go up above and beyond for you. Kind of give that, you that hand yeah. in store with the digital experience. Yeah. So I always use them as an example because I just love what they're doing. So yeah. Why is not yeah. everybody doing that? So why, why are I, they so... I, I wonder always, because it's not that hard uh, to improve the customer experience. And I, I always wonder, okay, why why are many people, many companies so far behind on, on that? Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. Yeah, one of the things that I've really enjoyed asking, because again, when this topic came up, I laughed because I could talk about this for days. <laughs> But um, one of the interesting things I've asked a number of people this year is why do you think that, because there's this, this mistaken notion that brick and mortar is dying, and it's really not. But I think that I feel for some brands that have a hard time with tightening budgets as they're spending money on digital to really staff their stores adequately for a good in-store experience. So mm -hmm. I feel for them in that type of difficulty there. But I also think that in asking the question of many people, why do you think digitally native brands are successful when they go into brick and mortar stores? And it's because they really know how to be customer centric. And I think that that speaks volumes when you think about like offline brands or legacy brands that are struggling and they're, you know, they're having a hard time adopting digital. It's sometimes because those in-store experiences aren't the best. Yeah. And so they're not really sure how to translate it online. They're having difficulties with that. But I think anybody in Starbucks, again, is another interesting example because they took all of their retail offline, which was a big which is a pretty bold move if you think about it because they wanted to increase foot traffic. And then as Gabby mentioned, they're obviously understanding if they're driving more traffic in store that they need to, they need to level up their store experience, yeah. which seems that they do. So they really kind of saw that coming, which was great. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of what is very interesting with what offline brands are doing. I actually think, and this is, You know, this is something that I've really noticed when I'm looking at um, clothing brands where they're minimizing their brick and mortar stores to not actually be a point of sale, but just a showroom. And I think that that is really, really an interesting way to go, because mm -hmm. if you think about it from a business sense, they're not they don't have to ship the stock. They don't have to pay to ship the stock. They just have these items in every size. And then I think it would be, I think some of them are already doing it where in store they help you purchase it. 
and then you can have it within two to three business days. I recently came across a really great online sale for a local clothing company. And I went into their store to try on items before I purchased them because it was an online only sale, which again, I don't agree. I think that they should put it in brick and mortar stores as well. And I went to go try on items before I purchased them. And none of the items were in the store that I was looking at online. And I thought, well, that's really silly because, you know, I may have the opportunity to try on, say, a skirt that I really like here, but there's a shirt in store that goes with it that I that I might buy when I'm there. Mm-hmm. So it's yep. like I feel that they really lost an opportunity to engage me in an in-person experience by not having their brick and mortar store stocked appropriately. Yeah, I have to say, just as a as a frequent shopper myself, I'm so disappointed with the physical store experience. <laughs> Definitely somebody has to fix that and they have to do it in a scalable way. I mean, these digitally native vertical brands are great, but um, you know, that's not the whole industry yet by any means. I definitely agree. That's actually something that um, again, the analyst I spoke with at Psychor Symposium, he had a really great thing when we're talking about um, like tech trends. And he was saying one of the, one of the, one of the problems is tech, tech and retail is so hyped that they're almost losing sight of the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, companies are really driving full bore into a digital strategy, but they don't have the in-store strategy proper, like proper, you know, sometimes they don't have enough stock in store or the in-store experience or their inventory isn't managed well on their site. And that's, those are really basic elements of an, of an important and impactful retail experience. They're overlooking because they're jumping full bore into AI, machine learning, personalization, which is great, but they're losing sight of what what really should be good. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. So um, I just have a, a, a random question for you. So as somebody who's fairly well connected and seeing a lot of trends out there, um, why have we not seen commerce through social media platforms, right? Why can't I go on Facebook? It seems like the only thing I can buy on Facebook is through these scammy Chinese dropshippers. Um, like, why can't I interact with, uh, you know, eBay or Amazon or a big well-known brand through Facebook, for example, and buy something directly through their platform? Yeah, this was actually when I saw this topic come up, I thought this was such a fantastic question. Because it's, again, something people talk about. And again, being, you know, seeing lots of conversation in the industry, people talk about how to leverage social media, but people aren't asking why aren't we doing better with it? Because if you think about it, it's been around for, you know, over 10 years Mm -hmm. now, you'd think that commerce and social would have come together. I personally think that customers just haven't acclimated social media as a commerce platform. I think that social media people are still identifying it as this is where I consume media. This is where I consume content. But in terms of interacting with it for purchase, it's not quite there yet. I think one of the problems is that we had a couple of social platforms like Pinterest tried to be a commerce platform that really didn't work out for them. And so I think that people maybe thought, okay, cool. And then they're a bit soured on it because their experience in terms of purchasing was not the best. And then you also have Facebook try to do marketplace, but I think people just really disassociated purchasing from Facebook. It's not what they thought about it. I think Instagram has done a really great job of trying to bridge the social commerce um, gap. I know that it's a really, really good tool for retail brands, but I think, and of course they they've created a marketplace for apps like, like to know it that make purchasing really easy. And I think again, 
the theme of that is they're making purchasing easy. So they're taking the journey from social media to purchase and they're making it much more streamlined and effective. Instagram, of course, is continuing with that because they're doing the shopping bags and the shopping bag app. And mm-hmm. I even read, I don't know if you guys, you guys probably read this, that they're apparently it's in the works that Instagram wants to create its own e-commerce platform where it becomes its own e-commerce platform. And I don't, I don't really know how I feel about that, but I think that the brands that can understand how to turn social into purchase by making it just so much more easy and seamless where, you know, someone kind of goes from the journey from social to purchase before they even realize what's happening. That's really when social is going to become more of an ally for commerce and retail. But right now you kind of have to change users thinking from it just being social to being, this is some, somewhere where I can acquire goods and services. And I also think that it's it's great for the brand that Instagram's doing that for them. But yeah. then say you go on their site, like from Instagram, and you just, they don't have like a mobile presence, like mm-hmm. something doesn't work or something's broken or like that company isn't up to date on what that mobile, you know, experience should be. Yeah. And so I think that also deters the customer from their site and they don't want to buy anything from there. Yeah. So I think yeah. it goes hand in hand. No, I absolutely agree. I think it's both of these challenges. On the one hand, everybody is in the the networking mode uh, on the one end uh, using these apps. Uh, on the other end, um, yeah, brands and retailers need to optimize their mobile experience um, to seamlessly integrate into these channels. So I think it's um, both these kind of things need to, to work out. Besides social commerce, um, what other uh, technology trends on the e-commerce sites or hypes are you seeing right now? Uh, what, what is uh, the, the next thing that you think will, will really take off? I think for me, I would say, I think always video content will always be current and a big hype for companies. Um, I just think it's a great way for companies to take their brand to that next level. Um, I mean, look at Nike and what they did with Colin Kaepernick, right? There was a huge buzz created around that. And that sent out like a huge, powerful, powerful message as well. And it wasn't just the first time that Nike did that too. So I think the message, you know, was really portrayed through that video, which mm-hmm. was super cool. Um, and uh, I think that Nike's always been really good at that as well. Yeah. I think that they, one of the interesting things I read about that is people were kind of taken aback and and someone else said, this is not, this is nothing new for Nike. Nike's taken on social issues mm-hmm. with video before, and this is just something that they do. But I totally agree with Gabby that video is a big trend. I mean, obviously we believe in it, Yeah, but <laughs> it, um, <laughs> but it's, it's just so impactful, you know, and I think even myself, when I've been at events, there was one event I was at and there was one agency that showed a video of a campaign and the video was so well done and the campaign was so unique that it stuck with me. And I mm-hmm. still like when we were just at Psychore Symposium, I came across a TV because this this partner had the TV set up and they were showing it. And I stopped Gabby and I made her watch it because I was like, I totally fangirled about this campaign <laughs> when I saw it before. This is amazing yeah. because the video was so impactful. And I just like the option of if you're you can't watch a video, like say you're at work and you want to watch a video. Yeah. I like how there's a the close closed captioning on yeah. it as well. And so you can watch it that way so you don't disturb somebody else around you or, or whatever. Um, so I just like how there's just so many options with video too. Yeah. Yeah. I think another big trend, 
And I think we're really only scratching the surface of the potential in voice. That's one of the things that I've been talking to a lot of people about this year and getting their opinions on where they think it is. I think that it's, I do believe the people that say voice is going to be the next great user interface, because again, it's just going to be so easy. But I think that right now we have to get over the, the issue of people adopting it and it being really human-like. I think if we can advance the technology even just a little bit more to be more seamless and more understanding and more and just seem less robot, more human-like, I think that that will really help. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that you'll see it become more than just to purchase or, you know, turn lights or whichever. Like, I think it can really become something that, I mean, it, it aligns all with the, the internet of things too, right? Which is also going to be a huge trend in commerce and how everything, it's going to be more about brands thinking with the internet of things, how, how can I integrate myself more into my consumer's daily life? You know, and one of the interesting stats that I heard of when I was interviewing someone else from a commerce platform is that the internet of things, the devices are going to more than double in the next two years. And they're not going to be mobile phones and laptops. They're going to be devices that brands have either in their consumer's hands or in their car or in their home. And it's how can I internet enable that to connect more with my customers, nudge them to purchase, yeah. auto purchase. There's so much potential in both voice and IoT for commerce. I think that it's hyped up because everybody's really excited. But I think when we really start to see it come to fruition for brands and brands really see a huge growth in revenue because of it, then it'll really become a reality. People will kind of understand what we've all been so excited about about it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, uh, by the way. It, it's, a, it's a really exciting future and just uh, happy to be here uh, as we see all these innovations hit our society. Even just going back 10 years ago, I mean, everything that we do today is, is practically new. It's really remarkable. Yeah, and I think going back to the, um, going back to the, the Internet of Things thing, I think that people really need to... I mean, people always say think outside of the box, but really think outside of the box. Really think about <laughs> what people use. You know, like in our podcast, I kind of went on this little rant about all the things that, sure, it would be great if it was internet enabled, like my makeup bag, like, you know, how refrigerators can sense products and know when a product goes in and when it should be replenished. Makeup bags can do the same thing. You know, Sephora is doing amazing things Gosh, with I digital technology. So, and you have companies like Glossier that have more of a, a subscription services kind of element in terms of how their products can be purchased. Why not internet enable a makeup bag that can do the same thing? Or, you know, have shoes. Like if you think about Louboutins, I'm totally like covering all the super girly brands. <laughs> but if you think about, if you think about, you know, Louboutins, they're known for their red sole, but the red sole um, wears away. And so women are often constantly getting it resold, but they're having to kind of notice and that kind of stuff. But it's like, what if there's a sensor within the sole of the shoe that says, hey, when I'm when I'm sensed, that means that I need to schedule um, a resoling with this cobbler and let the consumer know. It's things like that that people really need to start thinking about. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, on a slightly different topic, um, I hear a lot of folks talking about how amazing Canada is for tech innovation <laughs> and just in general. Um, and I was having a conversation with a friend the other week over some beers and I, 
I mentioned how Canadians are just like better Americans. And as a Canadian, he, he took great offense to that. And I realize now that that was a stupid thing to say. Um, but why is, why is Canada doing so well for tech innovation? Again, I hear about it absolutely everywhere these days. Um, I, when I saw this topic come up, I kind of laughed at, it's just beautiful <laughs> up here, you know? And I especially think when you're thinking about the area that we live in, I mean, we're just next, we're in the Pacific Northwest, you know, mm-hmm. we live in a really mild climate and people can get outside 365 days a year. And I think that when you think about the working world and how much, again, this is, you know, seeing what's, what media is out there and what people are talking about, having that work-life balance and having health and wellness become such an important part of being productive and kind of operating at your highest level. I think being in a part of the mm-hmm. world where that is such a prevalent conversation. And I don't, I can't really speak for the rest of Canada. Sometimes they're just under three feet of snow and they might, they might <laughs> hate us because we don't get that much of it. But I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think it's environment. I also think specifically where we are, there's such a big tech boom because we have such close proximity to Washington mm-hmm. where you have, you know, Amazon and Microsoft and those are long-standing companies. So I think when you're looking at the people that have grown up in this part of the world, tech has always been part of the conversation. It's always just been a constant in our lives in the business world. And I know that one of the other things, I used to work in the post-secondary environment and understanding when I got into the tech world, what a skills gap there was. When I looked back at how, and I still pay attention to this, how involved local and global tech companies are with the schools and like universities and tech trade schools that are in this area of the world is really phenomenal. They're very invested in a lot of great intern programs. I mean, I used to work with students that now work for massive global tech companies because of an internship that they got while they were in the school because the school was so well connected with this company. So I think that that's another big reason why this part of the world is really blowing up with tech. And of course you have companies like Hootsuite. Hootsuite is is, um, headquartered in Vancouver. Ryan Holmes is very, very vocal about why people should invest in companies in Vancouver and why he's never moved his headquarters and stuff like that. So I think when you really look, there's a lot being said. I mean, maybe I might be biased, but there's also um, an Amazon satellite office in Vancouver too. Yeah. So I feel like um, there's a lot of remote workers too. Yeah. In Vancouver too, because mm-hmm. companies can have those employees that can work there and work remotely. Exactly. Right. There's a big WeWork office yeah. in Vancouver too. And I mean, housing prices in Vancouver are an issue, but they're also an issue in Seattle and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So as Not people start, as remote workers get more productive and they don't have to live in the same city as their company, but they still want to be in the same environment. They're just exactly. kind of going north. Yeah. And be able to, um, yeah, work together. And- mm-hmm. yeah. Having been in Vancouver many times, um, I uh, yeah, have to say that I absolutely agree. It's probably one of the, the greatest places uh, I've been so far. Um, yeah, it's not only a nice city, but as you said, um, yeah. just uh, w- when you go out of the city, um, you can have easy access to the mountains, uh, to, to the ocean. You basically can do everything from uh, yeah, skiing yeah. in the morning and surfing in the evening, uh, depending on the weather conditions and if you have a good yeah. wetsuit. But anyway, so no, it's, it's a great... <laughs> hey, and our weather is so 
fast. You uh, could do yeah. it all. You can, you, can, you can golf in January too, which is nice. Yeah, I know Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver has something. I love to tell. I love to tell people this. Vancouver has something called a Sea to Sky Highway, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, you can go from the sea to the sky in yeah. one road because you're going. You know, and I think that's one of the great things that the Vancouver um, Olympics in 2010 really did is it really showed the rest of the world you know, the little pocket we have up here. And I think it really got people's attention because it is fairly unique. As we are already getting to the end of, of our session, um, I have one, one last question. You already mentioned that shortly. Uh, you have your own podcast now. So um, probably you can uh, tell and, and actually use the time now to promote it a little bit. Uh, wh what are the topics? I already listened in. Uh, you, you have the first episodes out already. But probably you can tell everybody now um, quickly uh, what is it all about um, and um, what are the topics A lot of what we covering. do, the podcast, again, I'm a big podcast listener. And so... I, of course, love what you guys are doing with your podcast. It was actually quite funny. When I was at Bloomreach Connect, I got some time with Raj Dadada and I said, and I laughed because I said, I mm -hmm. listened to your podcast with Commerce Tools and you had such a great explanation of the difference between like D a WCM and DXB. Can you please tell me that here? Because it was so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, we have footage of me being like, can you please talk about that here? Because it was so great. So we really love what you guys are doing too. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, it was Thank fantastic. you so much. He had, a, he had a great episode with you guys. What are we, our content strategy for our podcast is really similar to our website, but the, the reason that we wanted to do it is because Gabby and I spend so much time in our office talking about everything we're reading about. And, you know, this guy said this, and this person had this great content to say. And so not, not all of it makes it into our written content. So we thought, why not create a podcast where we can talk about the conversations we have with people, you know, like the commerce one. Yeah. We talked a lot about, you know, conversations we've had with Elastic Path and Bloomreach. And, you know, we, we talked about Sephora and Starbucks and stuff that we talk about in our office. And then the content intelligence one, it was mainly because when I was covering the Gartner Magic Quadrant for WCM, they really focused on the kind of table stake requirement for good WCM to have good content intelligence. And I thought that is so perfect you know, something that houses the content should also be able to give me insight on how to use it. So then that kind of inspired the other one. Our next one is going to be more in digital marketing. And it's going to be similar to the e-commerce one in that we're just going to kind of look back on the year and say, these are the impactful conversations we had about digital marketing. These are the trends we're seeing. You know, this is where we think it's going. This is, you know, this is hyped up and it's not really worth it. This isn't talked about enough. So basically just sharing our conversations in a different way mm -hmm. that we've had with people. Yeah. And we think of our topics, just kind of how we think of our content strategy as well as we just kind of talk about what's hot and what's current yeah. and, um, and just kind of go from there. So and kind of think about, you know, what's, what's the bigger conversation right now yeah, and exactly. what do people want to hear about? Yeah. Nope. Perfect. And yeah, I can recommend it to everybody um, who's listening to that episode. Um, check out um, cms-connected.com. Um, there you can access the podcast, right? I think this is the, the main link. Uh, I already listened to the episodes and uh, it's great content for everybody um, who wants to stay up to date uh, with our industry. So Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, we haven't, um, we, we saw how you guys, you kind of have it on like a separate podcast platform. We don't have that yet. We're waiting. We've had a couple people on social kind of ask us why they can't access our podcast on a podcast platform, but we're kind of waiting until I always think about, I often will 
um, help a lot of my friends and small businesses do their own content strategy. And I'm always like, get at least five, six blog posts mm-hmm. before you start so that you can, you can have, you know, a stack of content. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're waiting for. And I think it probably podcast five or six. We'll get yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Strictly you know, podcast to have, to have some content up front. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So, Laura, Gabriella, thank you so much for uh, attending uh, the uh, episode of Commerce Tomorrow. Um, Thanks, Kelly, for doing that together with me. And thanks to everybody who was listening. And uh, wish you all a great day. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having us on. This has been great. It was really fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone.